What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everyone? In this episode, I'm talking with John Apino about physician employment contracts and compensation. John is the founder of Contract Diagnostics. For nearly 10 years, they've been dedicated to helping physicians negotiate employment agreements and compensation structures. What's especially unique about contract diagnostics is their intense specialization. In fact, the entire company is built around providing this one particular service. I'm not aware of any other company in the country that has this level of specialization in experience reviewing physician contracts. And so that's why we're talking today. We're going to discuss what you need to know about contract negotiation. And we'll talk about why it's so important for every physician to understand their employment contracts and compensation, even those working for or considering big organizations with non-negotiable contracts. We also get into how the contract negotiation process works and when to consider engaging a third party to help. Hey, John, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, sir. Definitely. So we're going to be talking about contract negotiation for physicians and kind of talk about what that looks like and and what you should be thinking about. But before we get into that, can you share a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into that space? Yeah. You know, long story short, I've been I've been in and around physicians my entire life from my mother who practiced for 34 years in a smaller town in the Midwest. So I knew every you know, local physician and I initially wanted to go into medicine and uh, the physicians deterred me and they told me to go into computers, but I figured I'd already been, you know, four years into a, a, a biology and zoology pre-professional uh, degree. So, um, so I finished that and I went to work in a variety of different industries that got to work with physicians on, on a routine basis. And I became friends with many of them. And I realized that there was a problem with how they transitioned from training into the real world, if you want to say. And one of those problems was around these contracts. And although they could call a local lawyer, which is always a good option, and have the contract looked at from a legal perspective, the lawyers weren't up to date on, you know, on, on, on trends in medicine or on RVUs or on compensation structures or on really coaching and guiding the physicians on what to ask for or how to ask for it to balance risk based on their individual situation. So, so, uh, so we created a company called Contract Diagnostics uh, about a decade ago. And uh, we just kind of invented the space, say, hey, we'll make it fun. We'll make it easy for them. We'll help them review it and and have an educational approach. So so uh, so that's that's my frame. We've done you know almost 10,000 contracts now and uh, really enjoy working with the physicians. It's our passion. And it, uh, it, it really just uh, brightens our day when we get to work with individuals and get to know them. And, you know, sometimes over years they come back and we review, you know, secondary contracts or, you know, partnership contracts or all those kind of things. So we that's kind of my frame. Yeah, I think that's what a a lot of um, when I'm talking about your service with our clients, I think a lot of times I would compare it to, you know, subspecializing. And so the average local attorney just doesn't have the capacity. They're, they're doing a wider variety of work. And so it sounds like you guys have just kind of zeroed in on a very, very specific uh, area of service. And the, you said 10,000, right? Yeah, we've done a lot we've of We've done 10,000. Yeah. So. I don't know that I'm sure that there's not an attorney that has done that sort of volume. No, in that way. no. I mean, most attorneys that are local, you know, they're I mean, again, they know local laws um, better than we do. We're not a law firm. We don't provide legal advice. We do have our general counsel review all contracts for that, of course, but they don't drive the process here. And so, you know, although they may be more apt with local, you know, um, 
structures and, and legalities, if you will, they can't, you know, they're working with people who have speeding tickets or, you know, they're working on malpractice suits or, you know, or compliance issues with, uh, with fraud or, or something. We just focus on contracts. So we understand, you know, the nuances between the states, but maybe just as important, we understand how a hospitalist contract would be different than a orthopedic contract would, and an orthopedic contract in a large, you know, metropolitan area would be different than an orthopedic contract in a more of a rural area. And so uh, we specialize in that. And so we know not only how to talk to the physicians based on their frame, a, a, um, a you know, a, a 68 year old cardiothoracic surgeon is a very different uh, person to speak with and to guide and coach than is a new grad pediatrician. And so, uh, so it's what makes our days fun, but also challenging, but it's what our, it's why our specialization, I think is so important and relevant in the space that we're in, um, for the physicians that we, that we get to serve every day. Yeah. So your business is, is centered around helping with that employment contract negotiating and working through that process and the experience. Like maybe we could start there. What, why is the employment contract so important? I mean, it's obviously setting expectations. So we tell all of our physicians that we feel, you know, contracts in general are just for expectations, whether it's a real estate contract, you know, you're going to sell me your house. It has so many bedrooms and the furniture stays or goes, and I'm going to give you a certain dollar amount on a certain day. So those are just basic expectations from one, one person to another. And, and a physician employment contract is, is the same thing. It's what are the expectations from both parties? So typically, you know, it's the physician gives them time and their opinion and their expert opinion. So, you know, schedule and location and call all very detailed. And then the, the hospital gives the physician back compensation and benefits. And so those expectations should be very clear. And then of course there's details in these physician agreements as far as what happens if it doesn't work out, how do they get paid and compensated? Is it fair on termination? How can they quit? Can they quit? What about tail insurance? There could be restrictions. And if a physician doesn't understand these things, not just how they trade time for money and the finances behind it, but if they don't understand the potential ramifications of terminating the agreement, um, both from a financial perspective, either losing bonus dollars or repaying some or having tail insurance costs that can be upwards of $180,000, depending on a specialty, or being locked out of a market to work with, through a restrictive covenant or a non-compete. Those things can all be very vital. And if a physician doesn't understand them, it can, it can be catastrophe to a career, sometimes early. I mean, you guys, you speak about finance every day. And when you talk about a brand new physician with student loans who signs their contract because they were told it wasn't negotiable, just because they didn't negotiate it doesn't mean that they understand it. And they don't realize that there's financial penalties for leaving early and they want to leave early and it might cost them $100,000 to tail out. So now you're a new grad, you haven't really saved a whole lot of money, you're still in debt from your student loans, and you have a $100,000 tail insurance to buy. So it, it can be very costly, very, there can be a lot of issues with not understanding the contract. And that's, that's where, uh, you know, anybody who reviews it comes in, uh, our firm being one of those. Mm -hmm. When should this be like triggering in physicians' minds to consider negotiation? I, I think it tends to, they tend to gravitate towards not negotiating. That seems like the natural state the average physician is in, but maybe they just don't know. So if, if they were to kind of, what's a good identifier or what a good, what's a good kind of target to say, this is when I should be thinking about negotiating my contract. Yeah. Great question. I, we always say that, that you should, that they should be more proactive um, and earlier in the process. Um, and I think it starts with a job search and a site visit. 
So I don't think you have to wait until you get the contract to negotiate or discuss or clarify. I think all of those things start early. So for example, they're on a, you know, they, they're doing their job search. Of course, it's figuring out what they want. If it's a long-term position, a short-term position, if it's partnership, if it's academics, if it's a, you know, a career that lends itself to administrative duties later on or just clinical medicine. Um, I think, so I think that's obviously the one of the, the first step, of course. And then once you get on that site visit, I think it's not agreeing to anything financially. I think it's, you know, evaluating the practice, realizing the flow of patients. Uh, if you're a surgeon looking at the OR and, you know, are people happy and, and, uh, and fulfilled when they come to work? Is this a place that you could see yourself in? And then realizing that the finances, you know, they'll all come together. So I think the site visit is just, you know, making sure that, you know, this is where you want to be or where you could see yourself. And of course, impressing them and getting them to know that you're fantastic at what you do and you want to be there and getting that letter of intent or a contract. And then I think once you get that letter of intent or a contract, that's when the, the formal discussions can begin. But I think all the, on the front end, we always tell folks, don't commit to anything. If you're on a site visit and they say, what are you looking for out of, out of finances? Um, or if they say, you know, this position pays this much. Is that acceptable? What do you think? We always say don't commit to anything on the site visit because it might hinder your ability later on. So we like when physicians use phrases, you know, I, I'll tell people if you're on a site visit and they say, well, what are you looking at getting or what are you seeing other offers for? I don't want them to answer that question. I want them to kind of work their way around it. And I think something similar to, you know, I'm super excited about this opportunity here. And I'm sure that whatever you guys propose will be competitive with the other offers that I'm getting or will be competitive with, you know, my my abilities and my desires to be here long term. Um, and it just kind of leaves it open and then they can throw an offer at you. And then based on your frame, you've got five other offers or, you know, you're going to take this no matter what, or you're only there for two years or they need you more than you need them or, you know, fill in the blank. There might be different negotiating capital on the table at that time. So, but, but we're doing, sorry to interrupt Daniel, but we're, we're doing a lot of like early contracts. Now we've already done over 35, 2022 contracts. Well, yeah. And I mean, so, and, and, and it's what it's, it's, it's the third week in October of 2020. So, you know, so people are looking out quite a ways and the, there's risk of course in doing that, but there's also a lot of gain and benefit. And so I think that process can start, you know, anytime, but, but we like it when the negotiation process begins earlier rather than later. Do you think that, um, I, I've seen a letter of intent have the compensation laid out. Do you think that's a good idea to sign a letter of intent with compensation kind of before you've negotiated? No, we feel that the letter of intent is where that is. It, I mean, I think it begins on a site visit and to, to not mess, not mess that process up. But from a, when you're going to officially ask, we feel the letter of intent is a perfect place. I've talked to way too many physicians who they'll send us their signed letter of intent and contract. And then we'll go through the contract and we'll say, look, based on data, based on our opinion, based on what your frame is, we feel that this would be a more appropriate compensation structure. And of course, the physician's excited to go have that discussion. And when they do, they a lot of times come back disappointed to us when they say, you know, hey, guys, they said that the offer letter that we had agreed to the financial terms during the offer letter. And so it can really, they yeah, have, exactly. Of. Well, and it all depends on how it's worded. We've seen some offer yeah. letters saying by signing the offer letter, you will sign the contract, you know, like it's mm -hmm. almost binding yeah. in a certain way. And so all, I mean, offer letter. So what do you do with the letter of intent? I think they should be reviewed. So, you know. I mean, so you kind of say like, that's probably the first, that's when you, 
potentially either, you know, start the negotiation process, you, whether you hire you guys or it, it comes before the letter of intent. Yes. I think the nego- the like nonverbal negotiation, if you will, as far as you getting there and doing your best job on the site visit and not committing to anything happens before the letter of intent. And then if they do offer a letter of intent, and we probably see letter of intent, I bet you we see them maybe on 30% or 40% of contracts. So it's not the majority, but I think they're getting more popular as as employers don't want to waste their time by drafting a full agreement for a physician who's not interested in the financials. But yeah, I think that when the letter of intent comes in, that's when the physician should begin discussing with the employer on the terms. Sometimes there's details in there about vacation, about what type of malpractice insurance and about the restrictive covenant. And other times it's just a sheet that says, here's your salary, period. And here's your bonus if there is one. Sign here if you're in agreement. And so, yeah, I definitely think that a very good, robust discussion, everything from, you know, how they set rates to the salary itself, to signing dollars or stipends or student loans or relocation, um, CME time and, and vacation time and budgets for those things. You know, I think I think all of those things are open for negotiation and discussion during the contract phase. So from someone in your position, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on deciding between different employers I find that uh, it seems like about half is my guess of people tend to gravitate towards the numbers and the finances and that kind of drives their decision. And then the other half tend to gravitate towards the people and the values and the job itself. What are your thoughts? I'm just curious on that. I think it's individualized. I think it's individualized to their particular situation and, and their particular story. You know, some, some physicians, They'll tell us that they just want to work here for a year as they support their spouse as they finish a fellowship. And if that's the case, then that contract should be much different than someone who tells us, I want to be here and be a partner and retire in the community long term. So I think it's all individualized on, you know, kind of what becomes important to them based on their story. If it's maximizing compensation, if it's minimizing risk, if it's balancing your time equation. So you don't want to work too much. You want to have a balance between your, you know, your, uh, the time commitment and the financials. So I think everything is, is, is kind of unique and custom, which is why, you know, you really can't have like an artificial intelligence system that just looks at the contract and says, here's the problems, you know, or you really can't have like a copy paste solution. You have to have a customized approach to each individual, you know, physician in each individual situation as far as, you know, who the employer is and what state it's in and what the individual physician's frame is. I've talked to a few people lately that have had, they've started working with recruiters their own recruiters, I guess, like the recruiters, I'm used to the recruiters seeking them out, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. from the hospital or the staffing company. But in this case, they were, it seemed like they're set up to work for the physician. Have you seen that? Or are you aware of that setup? And what are your thoughts? Yes, I have. And there's fees involved with that. And that could be a great solution for many physicians. I know that employers don't always like that. The ones who do typically like that are more the smaller private practice employers. It's not more the corporate employers. And as we've seen consolidation in healthcare over the years, we've seen some of those, those situations make it challenging. And we've, we can, we can see how it can kind of hinder the physician in their job search because if someone has a financial obligation, if, if someone is financially incentivized to promote jobs that they'll make $30,000 for you to take versus other ones that they'll make zero for you to take, you could imagine the problem with that scenario. There may be a great job, no different than real estate. You know, some a realtor may not show you a house that's a for sale by owner if they're not going to make a commission on it, even though it might be a perfect home for you. And I think those agency situations or even recruiters who are working for you can be that same situation. 
Um, but I, I think it's a good, a good system for some individuals. I do know that some of the agencies have contracts, you know, that they're t- sending the physicians to sign and, you know, much like a buyer's agency with a, with a real estate contract, there can be hidden costs in there. Or if you take a job somewhere else with a different recruiter, you, there may be financial fees obligated back to the agency that's, that's, uh, that's uh, promoting or supporting you through the search process. So I think those are good options. I don't know that they're as viable as they were, uh, you know, five or 10 years ago with the amount of technology that we have now with apps and with job and search engines and social media and, and word of mouth for job postings. But um, I do think those, think those can be valuable for some individuals. You were talking about people saying people just not signing and not negotiating at all. And I, I hear that a lot from people. They say, oh, well, this employer potential employer I'm talking to, that setup is just non-negotiable. I or I've heard that they're they don't negotiate at all. And so they kind of just are leaning towards just signing. And so is there a place where that actually is truthful? And if so, what's that look like? Or yeah, I mean some employers are non-negotiable. And we know you know a lot of larger employers, they have standard contracts and maybe the first 10 pages are the same for everybody. And it doesn't matter how much you pay, you know, the best company or lawyer out there, they're not going to change it. And then some, you know, there might be modifications to exhibit A or exhibit B or exhibit C based on you're a hospitalist or a cardiologist or you make 200,000 or 500,000. But um, we don't usually, but well, we do see a lot of employers that say that the terms are non-negotiable. I do actually hear from some of our physicians where the employer will say, you know, you really don't even need to get this review because we're not going to change anything. And I would vehemently argue against that. I think even though, even though many contracts are non-negotiable, it comes back to what we, what we talked about when we started the podcast. Just because you can't change it or you can't negotiate it doesn't mean that you shouldn't understand it. And for physicians who have no training in this, it's not only about what it says, what's, what's clear and what's not clear, what's vague, but also what it doesn't say. And so that's where kind of making sure that you, well, again, a negotiable or not, you need to understand the risk that you're assuming by signing this uh, very important piece of paper. And I think we do see non-negotiable contracts from time to time, but you never know if it's negotiable or not until we ask. And there might be some portions that are negotiable, like salary or or um, or bonuses or you know a flex time or your call pay. But there might be things that are unnegotiable, like tail insurance or non-competes or you know when you can participate in the four hundred one k, for example. Uh, there might be some aspects that are non-negotiable and some that are. Right. Well, it's and then it's easy for a company to say it's non-negotiable you know, when it is, you know, so that you can't, you can't know for sure. I think it's better to probably go in cautiously and um, worst case scenario, you understand the contract better. And Yeah. Well, it, and it's still a sales process, right? I mean, the employer yeah. is, a, you know, they're selling their employment to you. So this is why we're the best. This is why we have a great situation. This is why you'll do fantastic here. And, you know, don't waste your money to get this contract reviewed. It's a great contract, you know, and, you know, you're not going to find any more money. So just go ahead and sign it so we can get your credential. I mean, it's a sales process, you know. And uh, so um, I, I think as long as a physician is aware of that and and they and then they I, again, our frame is uh, whether they work with us or somebody else. We think that all, all all contracts should definitely be reviewed, whether they're negotiable or not, whether they're a two-page academic contract or a, you know, a 30-page, you know, private practice contract with a partnership option um, every, or anything in between, we think that everything should be reviewed just so you know what you're signing and then, of course, what's there and what's not there, what's clear, what's not clear, and then how to make things that are not clear, how to make them clear. 
and understandable. We've seen people sign, you know, air quotes, non-negotiable contracts, and they're at a larger academic or, you know, mid-sized academic hospital. And they have like, for example, a student loan stipend and the contract, the arrangement is that the company will pay it directly to the loan servicer. And that's the only way they'll do it. And the company also happens to be non-for-profit, like a PSLF qualified company. And so it just completely screws up PSLF when the company pays it directly to the servicer. For example, right now with PSLF, if you're, the government's not requiring any payments, it's $0 payments for everybody. And so these employers are paying still these stipends directly to the loan servicers. So it's essentially like tossing money out the window and you get taxed. And so (laughs) that kind of thing is like a simple. And so in our experience, when people have said, well, no, I'd rather you pay it to me. This non-negotiable employment job, maybe they consider it. And in fact, every time we've done it, even the times when the employer has said, no, we're not going to do it. When that happens, we tell the, in, in certain cases, we tell the employee to say, well, then I don't want it because it actually is so bad. Mm-hmm. It's literally just costing them tax. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, like they pretty much, every case we've had, they end up negotiating. So the non-negotiable employment job, you know, ends up negotiating certain things because they're in that, you know, that catches their attention when somebody's like, well, just don't, don't pay. Right. It seems like everything's negotiable though. Well, I think so uh, to some degree, but (laughs) you know, with a lot of employers like that, where they say it's non-negotiable, they think that maybe finance is non-negotiable because, or the financials are because that, you know, they're given a bucket for the hire. So, you know, this hire, we have a bucket of two fifty thousand, So that's, you know, that's 200,000 salary and 10,000 signing bonus and 10,000 for relocation and then 10,000 per year for three years for, um, for student loans. And that's, that's the bucket. And, you know, yeah, if it's not, the bucket's not negotiable. So that's, that's their frame. Right. But maybe to your point, the total bucket is non negotiable, but how it's cut up is. And uh, I think that's where we, that's where having someone who knows what they're doing and who, who is creative with how to cut up those buckets, if you will, I think it'd be very mm-hmm. valuable to the physician. So how does it vary? You hit on, you know, private practice, typically more complex contracts and academic jobs, potentially you know, some of them are more straightforward on occasion, but just kind of the broad scoping view of how, do, how does, how do contracts tend to vary between, you know, even the different specialties and is it, it's my experience has been huge. <laughs> There's a very, very wide variance in what is, and it seems like it's even regional sometimes. Mm-hmm. But what's what's kind of the the scope or the the range of things that that you're seeing with these contracts? With which type, or just in general? all all across the board in general? Oh, I mean, it it again, it just varies so much. With academic contracts, you know, our goal is to make sure that the financial and any bonus obligation is very clear. Um, if they've got split time, eighty percent or twenty percent, we want to know where the eighty percent is. And of course, then, you know, making sure that we understand all policies. A lot of those three page academic contracts just reference policy manuals, you know, for malpractice insurance, see the policy for termination, see the policy for the outside activity clause, see the policy, same thing for intellectual property or, you know, so I think you need to look at the policy. Yeah. Look at all the policies and they can be very, very uh, dense, if you will, you know, private practice, you know, sometimes we'll see mentions of partnership in there, but it's really nothing too granular or clear. It'll say something like, you know, we may or may not offer you partnership at a certain time frame or sometime after the second year. It's just, it's just so fluid, which I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to obligate or guarantee anybody partnership in my, 
company without first working with them for a couple of years and evaluating their performance and everything. You know, and then with 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 hospital agreements, we'll see a lot of you know a lot of excess language, and you know sometimes termination language can be pretty dense, and we'll see sometimes excess language around the restrictive covenants or you know outside activities and what the physician can or can't do, and um, and then of course we'll see you know sometimes various and overly complex compensation structures. We feel that most employers could simplify them quite a bit, but I think maybe intentionally or not, they make them very complex. And we are seeing a lot of things added to those compensation structures, you know, like value-based incentives or quality bonuses. So we see citizenship bonuses. And of course, they're all a little bit different as far as how they're, how they're structured. Yeah, I find a lot of our clients uh, don't exactly understand their compensation structure. Um, they get complicated on occasion. And um, it seems like that's, that's something you guys will dig into is just kind of at a minimum uh, you know, under breaking down how people get paid and what, what it's tied to. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we do see, and even the straight salary model is challenging. Even when we see somebody that says, you know, you get paid a salary period, there's no bonus. Um, those can even be challenging because then we want to understand how, what their time obligations are. So if it says, you know, you'll pay, you'll be paid a flat salary and there's no details on your schedule, then I have no idea how, how you right. trade time for money or how much call right. you're taking, or if you're running all around town doing multiple locations, you know, so that can be a problem. And sometimes we'll see, you know, it's just an easy, you know, here's your salary and here's your RVU production. And so then it becomes doing math and making sure expectations are clear. Sometimes you can have some of the RVU bonus can be at risk and it can be at risk for many factors, sometimes a quality metric or citizenship or charting or, you know, it can be, I mean, we've seen uh, opening up your email once a month, I think was the, was one, one of the quality or the citizenship metrics that we saw. It said that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, it didn't say that. It was kind of, it, 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 it kind of was fluid. And then uh, when, when the physician was kind of clarifying based on our discussion, uh, they had found out that one of the metrics was open your work email because people were, people were using their personal email addresses and they didn't want the physicians using personal email addresses. So to incentivize them, they put, you know, whatever, um, $5,000 per year at risk if they open up their email address. And they, they said, even if they, uh, even if they hadn't done it, they'll basically call the physician and say, Hey, you need to go check your email real quick just so they could check the box that they completed. So we see all kinds of goofy things. Sometimes they're very granular and sometimes they're quote discretionary bonuses. Sometimes quality bonuses have nothing to do with the physician and what they can control. Sometimes they're pool bonuses. And so what your quality is may not might matter, but not be a hundred percent relevant on if you receive the dollars or not. So, I mean, we've just seen so many different structures. And then as, as medicine goes away, you know, slowly, very slowly goes away from paying for each individual service or case and goes to more quality or bundled payments, we're slowly seeing compensation structures change. One of the things I will tell you though on bonuses that everybody should keep an eye out for as they make sure they understand the policies around termination. So we see a lot of bonuses. So for example, you have a contract, your salary is 300,000 and you receive a quality bonus of uh, 10% of your pay based on these five metrics. And even the metrics might be very clear in the agreement or they may not be. So $30,000 is the bonus. It's a lot of money. And it might not be clear in the agreement on how it's paid. So the questions that immediately come up from our end, if you're starting August 1st, and is the bonus a contract year? So August 1st through the end of July. Or is it a calendar year? It's January through December. Is it the corporation's fiscal year, which may be October through September or something different? 
is in an academic year, it's July through June, you know, and then do you participate for a partial year or not? And then when do you need to be employed at a certain time frame to receive full or partial payment or not? And all those things can be variable. And we talk to way too many physicians who will use the phrase, you know, I got screwed or I got ripped off or, and it's, it's not that they did, they just didn't understand how it was paid. So, um, you know, or when it was paid or when they should terminate. And we worked with a physician in the Midwest, uh, I remember two years ago, and he was calling, he was going to terminate his current job and then take a new job. And, you know, we had said, look, we hadn't seen your current deal. And so I don't know, you know, about termination. I'm, I'm hoping that you're okay with that. He had us look at it and we actually gave him guidance on maybe being best to terminate the following week versus the week he was planning on it because then it was a bonus that he was going to receive and it was in the realm of like $20,000. So if he, if he would have quit on Friday instead of the next Thursday, he would have not received $20,000 that you would, you would easily argue that he earned every bit of it. So, you know, understanding those nuances can be very, very vital. And those are all things that are often buried in either policy manuals or sometimes buried under compensation plans. But it's super important that people understand that whether they plan to be at a position forever and ever or whether they plan to transition near term, it's super important that they understand all those small nuances. Yeah, I think what you guys do, I would advocate for physicians to, I think they need to educate themselves better on what their job is that they're potentially considering. And I think what you guys do is you shortcut them to getting that education they need to know to make a good decision. And it's not like, I think some people think that you guys kind of just do it for them and they can kind of not pay attention to it. But it sounds like what a lot of what you're talking about is just kind of giving them good education around mm -hmm. what that job looks like and what they should be thinking. Absolutely. About. We love to teach and we love to educate. You know, some people call us because that's what they want. And some people call us to check a box, you know? So, you know, we do talk to some physicians and, you know, their frame isn't, I want to learn about this. I want to understand it. I want to fully negotiate it to make sure it's the best deal. Their frame is, can I just sign this damn thing, you know, without <laughs> having any red flags? I was, everyone right. tells me I have to have it looked at. So, you know, check the box. It's looked at. Can I now sign? And <laughs> I think they come into our system with that frame and, uh, you know, and we don't just tell them, yeah, sure, go ahead. We still, you know, explain everything to them. And I think they come out of our system with a much better appreciation and understanding for what they didn't know. And um, I think that, and, you know, physicians are very cerebral and, you know, they're very good learners. And so I think once we, once we empower them with that little bit of knowledge and how to, I think they can be very, very good as far as discussing and negotiating things with the employer themselves. It's also a function of sometimes motivating people to want to do that. I mean, you know, you have, you have, or, or coaching them on how to, you have that, you know, you have that, um, that, um, surgeon who is willing to say and ask for anything, whether or not it upsets somebody or they say it in the correct or the wrong way. And then you've got that, you know, the super sweet pediatrician or OBGYN who, you know, who, who doesn't want to ask for anything because they don't want to make somebody sad or disappointed. So the way that you, you know, help and individualize your coaching to that individual physician can be very important. And, you know, I, I love when we inspire a pediatrician to ask for something and they get, and they do ask against their, sometimes, you know, they're get very nervous, but they ask and they come back to us with, you know, with, with just glowing uh, you know, the, oh my gosh, they gave me X, whether it's 5,000 or 10,000 extra for a signing bonus, or, you know, they, uh, they removed something or they clarified something, mm -hmm. they just get thrilled. And I think that's fantastic. So yeah, I mean, every, again, every situation is just so unique and different, but 
Yeah, I think I was going to ask you about renewal contracts. So I think the type you were getting into personality types and how that can affect, you know, your initiative, I guess your, your uh, desire to kind of get into the uncomfortable conversations. And so the type personality that has the tendency to not want to do that and they don't, they don't ask for say higher compensation. I think they tend to end up not getting as much compensation and, as a result of that, that's just probably on average, but I'm curious about like contract renewals. I have a lot of people, they, they seem to not, they gloss over those. Most people just seem to just sign those. What are your thoughts on like, say my contracts up uh, and I need to sign a new one or the hospitals proposed a change to our contract. Should that be something they get reviewed by a third party? And Absolutely. I think that, and I think they should have their compensation structures reviewed every other or third year by an outside firm. You know, I think I've talked to too many physicians again who have remained in the job that they enjoy um, and see, you know, and they don't really have any problems, but they call us because their friend used us. And all of a sudden now we realize that, you know, they're, they haven't had a raise in six years, but they don't want to complain because they like the job and they love the patients and they love their staff and they love their city. And, you know, the last thing we want is for someone to be, to be compensated at lesser of a rate than they're earning. Um, we do see discrepancies between male and female pay. Um, we've written on this. There's lots of other articles out there and great people who speak on this um, outside of our company, but it's something that's a, a passion of ours is making sure that everybody gets paid appropriately with their experience. So I think it's, I think it's important whether it's an addendum, um, whether it's a COVID, you know, they're changing things because of the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and there's modifications to their structure or their compensation or something. I think those things should be reviewed so you can at least get good guidance on how you should clarify, even if it's non-negotiable, how you could clarify certain terms in that. I think if you, if your contract is coming up for renewal, sometimes contracts automatically renew and that's when people get it. They get in this automatically renewing situation and there's no real way for them to raise their hands or no real, you know, point in time for them to sit down and say, let's renegotiate or let's discuss the compensation. You're just kind of at, the mercy of the employer for whenever they decide to change the compensation, whether that's you know, a merit increase or whether that's a change to the RVU structure or whether it's a change to the collection structure. And I think it's, I think it's a great idea for physicians every other or every third year to dig into their compensation structure, realize what's happened to their market, and then potentially get guidance from a third party on how to approach and discuss that with the employer. Do you have suggestions for compensation data? As far as where to find good data? Yeah. You know, it, yeah there, I know there's several yeah, people that do it. It's and, challenging. I mean, you, I mean, people can go, you know, Medscape publishes every year as far as like physician compensation survey. I know Merritt Hawkins has a survey that they do. That's, I think, pretty good. Um, there's other, you know, companies like MGMA, which is a gold standard. They have AMGA, they have Sullivan Cotter, you know, there's um, Ranger MD. There's a lot of places that have compensation data. Most of them are, are, um, are inaccessible to, you know, the basic physician, although your employer may have them. There's obviously asking your program director or social media or, you know, your colleagues who have signed recently. I think, I think, I think, and I think all those things are good, good ways to understand the, what the market may bear in a certain uh, situation. I do think that a lot of the numbers are biased. I think the academic you know, pulmonologist making $160,000 a year isn't taking the survey, nor is the, you know, um, interventional cardiology making a million six or the, you know, the orthopedic surgeon making two and a half million dollars. So I think the survey is a little bit biased, of course, um, which, which, I mean, physicians understand statistics. 
So I think it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's challenging. And then there's also the different situation where, you know, maybe the market and, and, and they're also, they're regionally based. So there might be a, you know, a region that would include a larger metropolitan area and a smaller town of 150,000. And those might be in the same region per, you know, some national database. And so having a, having somebody who understands this and can not only just say, here's what this market would bear, but also knowing this is a group of two physicians practicing on their own without, you know, hospital support, or this is a multi-specialty group backed by private equity, or this is a position that's been open for three years, or, you know, you're the only pediatric nephrologist in a 500 mile radius. You know, I think all those, all those facts tie into how you should ask and what you should ask and what the compensation structure should be, not just looking at a graph and a chart. And and physicians can appreciate this because, you know, they go through their training and they understand this is a good medicine for this and this is a good medicine for this. But, you know, but they realize that that a patient logging onto a system saying, here's my symptoms and an algorithm spitting out, here's the medication isn't the best way. It's having the physician's discretion to say, here's what I think you need, you know, based on the knowledge that I have. And I think that's why a customized approach um, should be taken in most all situations. So as we wrap up, I'm, I'm really curious about your thoughts on the future of medicine and particularly physician contracts and engagements and, and that sort of thing. I know you're seeing that every day. So I'm curious, what do you see any trends in terms of how pe- people are getting paid or, you know, more self-employment, more physician practice versus more hospital engagements? What are your thoughts on that? I think it just depends on so many factors. Yeah, I think it's you're complicated. Continue, it is very, very. And I think you're going to continue to see a move towards quality as far as, you know, larger employers with how they're paid. I think you're going to see private practice be continued to be crunched as far as reimbursement rates and those things. As far as bundled payments go, I think um, you're still going to have a large majority who don't want to be employed. We know that a lot of physician groups inside of um, larger hospitals or corporations are not profitable. And so I, you know, whether that means that they let the physicians spin off and remain there, you know, re- retain their, um, their practice on an independent basis, but remain on staff at the hospital, I think that might be a possibility. You know, I think, um, you're going to continue to see, uh, physicians have to see more patients, um, to earn the same amount of money. And, but I think that there'll also be efficiencies in the system. I think telemedicine is here to stay. And I think that's, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of, I think you're going to see some disruption in the space from, I mean, we've already seen, you know, Walmart uh, try some things. We've seen, you know, apparently Amazon is in the process of hiring a bunch of telehealth workers right now. So I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot of uh, shakeup in some of those industries, but I do think telehealth is here to stay. I think we're seeing a lot of, and so I think the industry is going to be very interesting over the next five to 10 years, but we're also seeing very interesting trends in physicians themselves. You know, we've seen, We've seen med schools now, I think at 56% of who are female grads. And we've seen, you know, the newer age physician who comes out of training, who, you know, has the desire to retire early, which is where I know you guys come in, but their goal is to retire early and not work until they're 75, like the physician of 20 years ago. So you've got, you know, you've got more people coming into the system who want flex schedules, who want four days a week, who maybe want to work remote so they could do it from the mountains or the beach or you know, or somewhere else. They don't want to have to go to the hospital every single day or spend, you know, eight or nine hours in clinic. And I think, I think you have that level of physician that's growing. And I think you add all those together and you're going to continue to have a robust job market for physicians because there's an increase in demand and the GME supply, if you will, GME expansion has not been as robust as it, as it, as it, you know, 
as a lot of people wanted it to be. And I think you combine all those things and those always be great jobs for physicians. I think the jobs might be a little bit different, but I think it's going to be exciting either way. And, um, you know, that's the one thing that we love doing is keeping up on trends. And, uh, right. so I, I, th- I, and I think you'll I'm see, excited the to see what it looks like. Yeah. I think you'll see the employment con- and we've already seen employment contracts change a little bit over the past few years to prepare for the physician shortage or the growing physician shortage. It's been around for a while. Um, and we've also seen contracts change due to COVID. And so I think that's going to be another interesting thing as far as, you know, um, how, what the tail looks like on COVID and then what, you know, at what point when we do we get back to what people might redefine as normal, you know, and then how physicians and hospitals play a role on that. Then of course, what's the, what's the overall, you know, I mean, it's October. So who knows what the winter months will look like um, with the COVID pandemic, but that may impact things to another degree. Again, we saw a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges uh, back in March, April, May with various specialties who were directly impacted by COVID. So I think the futures um, is is going to be interesting. I think there'll always be good jobs and plenty of them for physicians. I think they'll always be compensated well and they'll always need, you know, people to to help out with their finances and to help out with, you know, their formal contracts. But I think their job duties might change a little bit. The compensation structures might get a little more complex. But um, one thing that's guaranteed, I guess, is it'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a thought of something about COVID I wanted to ask you while we're chatting too is with the COVID uh, change, well, the, with the whole pandemic, I noticed a lot of employers cut compensation. And so I think a lot of physicians that had guaranteed contracts took pay cuts. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly. It's interesting to me that people with guaranteed contracts base, you know, say base compensation is X dollars and they took pay cuts. Could the physician have been like, no, I, I don't, it seemed like a lot of that's happening and I'm not sure. Yes. So again, it all depends, it all depends on how their contract is worded. Most contracts have no cause terminations in them, which means the employer or the physicians can just say, we elect to terminate in a certain time frame, usually 60 or 90 or 120 days. What we saw a lot of employers doing was issuing letters that said something similar to, to avoid terminations this is going to be your new structure. And Uh the physicians were kind of like, you know, they were upset and they didn't want to sign it. And, you know, and, you know, we, you know, our, our, uh, our frame to them was, you know, um, you don't have to sign it. Um, If you don't, I don't know what they will do, you know, based on the contract, there's a 60 day termination by the employer. And if they offer this to everybody, we would assume that people will sign it if they want to keep their jobs. But, you know, you never know. So um, we did see a lot of that. We saw some you know, places, we saw a lot of dermatology practices just close down or furlough workers. You know, we saw a lot of plastics groups break up, um, plastic surgeon groups break up or, you know, people who were right on the cusp of being offered partnership have that whole thing, you know, blown up and practices dissolved. And, you know, so we saw a lot of a lot of challenges in some specialties um, back back in, uh, you know, March, April, May. And I think a lot of those places have, have, you know, recovered to some degree. We have seen people continue to change compensation due to COVID currently. And I think we will probably see changes, you know, off and on through uh, the first quarter of, of 2021. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure, like you said. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and any you know, some industries, you know, maybe there's not a lot of interesting things, but in medicine, you know, whether you're talking about new medications coming out or new specialties, or you know, the future of work, or you know, the um, you know, artificial intelligence in medicine, or you know, employment trends. One thing we know is it will always be interesting. It's such a vital piece of each one of our lives, of course, and in the United States economy as a whole, um, it'll always be interesting to follow and see, you know, what, uh, what, what comes out of it. Yeah. So where can people find you if they have questions or need help with negotiating? Contracts? So we're, we're at contractdiagnostics.com. You can just put us in any search engine and we'll pop up. We've got great resources on our website from a blog uh, that we write to, to, we have a, a, a little box you can click on for a free consult. We'll spend 15 minutes giving free, you know, doing a free consult with anybody who has questions on, you know, their situation. We, we do contract reviews. People can sign up online, you know, our packages, they can reach out to us and find out, but yeah, contractdiagnostics.com or you can email in info at contractdiagnostics.com and, 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 uh, and we can get you all the information that you need as far as, you know, um, your particular situation. And then of course, if it makes sense for us to work together, we can get you information on that as well. But we love to teach. We love to educate. And I've told I've told countless people this, that we started this company over a decade ago to help people, not to make money. And we figured if we helped enough people, we would have plenty of money. And, um, and, uh, and so that's our frame and we haven't changed it. So we have free educational series on our, on our website. We give free talks, you know, at, in in a couple of nights a month. Um, it's non-branded. We just give free information. So, um, we love to teach. We love to coach. We love to do anything we can to help physicians for the space that they're in. Whether or not that, that brings in revenue to the company to me is irrelevant. So yeah, check us out. And if we can help anybody, we do encourage everyone to reach out. Awesome, John. Well, thanks again for chatting with me today and keep up the good work. I, I love what you're doing and I love the, the space that you've created. So that's, that's I always appreciate great. the opportunity. Have a great, uh, great day and be safe out there. We covered this topic because several of you have asked for it. So if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in the future or people you'd like us to bring on, please let us know. You can reach out at daniel at financeforphysicians.co or hit us up on the website at financeforphysicians.co slash contact. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor. All content included in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial tax or legal advice. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by Finance for Physicians as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. If you don't have an advisor or would like a second opinion, feel free to check out our website.